if I learned anything from that art school that I went to, it was really just like we were marked on process. And although I'm not necessarily a master of process still, I think what I appreciate from that, what they were trying to teach us was like the final product is just what pops out at the end, but it's the process and the collaboration is where all the work is done. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Shotlist, where we talk about how to make a life and a living behind the lens. I'm cinematographer Marshall Chupa, and today I'm speaking with director and writer RJ Sawyer. In this episode, RJ and I dive into his creative process as a director and a few key parts of his workflow that allow for getting ideas on paper and into the world, how he began to build relationships and tips on what matters most when it comes to finding work, how he deals with the inevitable ups and downs of his freelance creative journey, and why story is so important to him and how it shapes not only his work life, but his personal. As a director, you need to be able to hold the end vision in mind throughout all the moving parts and politics that come along with making a film, as well as keep your team and client happy when things get challenging. This role is not something everyone is cut out for, but RJ is someone who is. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Let's dive in. RJ, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me. We've bumped shoulders, I guess, in the film industry for a number of years. And then most recently, we caught up on a phone call where I feel like at the end of it, I really should have hit record and it felt like a podcast. <laughs> so I thought, what better way to actually do this properly than to press record, jump on the air and uh, do one for the people. Amazing. That was our concept deck. Now this is the real thing. There we go. I like that. <laughs> so for those who don't know you, you're a director and writer. How would you describe the kind of work that you do and are drawn to? It's tricky because I think I do break it down into categories. I mean, I've often used the analogy, the Robin Hood analogy, if I sort of steal from my jobs to pay for my projects. And that's kind of how I've done things a lot. I've obviously at this stage have carved out a working career, directing on some level, writing on some level, and then doing other aspects of this industry that I love still, like editing, for example. So I kind of tend to wear a lot of hats and double dip on projects, which is great. So that's kind of how I've tend to make my living as a commercial director or even a commercial producer for that matter. And then exploring, continuing to explore sort of creative projects, script writing. I've been sort of in the depths of developing some feature film projects for a long, 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 long time. And I've come to respect sort of why films don't get made right. <laughs> and why... And like, just why, like when you, a great film will suddenly come out and you'll hear the backstory that, oh, this took 15 years to get to screen. You're like, well, how? This is brilliant. This is amazing. And it seemed like a no brainer, but you're like, once you sort of get into that process, you realize, wow, it's just a house of cards. Yeah. Almost feels like we're all trying to sabotage it as we go. It's just crazy. So it's kind (laughs) of, again, it's for me, it's finding that balance and I can do work and a lot of it's gives me a lot of joy or an experience and and exposes me to different things, but then continuing to pursue these other projects, which don't necessarily make money and oftentimes suck money out away from me. So I have to sort of, yeah, find, strike that balance. And I feel like I've done a decent job of it, but it's a messy, messy industry. And when it comes to like the look, mood and feel of your work, like you kind of land in a certain camp. I feel like you're out a lot outdoors a lot more. Um, you're not really like in the studio ton. Like, where do you feel like you land in that camp of what, like the genre of director you kind of you're falling into? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would 
I mean, ironically, I would say though the, the kind of work I necessarily have been doing isn't necessarily always indicative of the kind of work I think I should be doing and love to be doing. Part of that is circumstantial. I think we all know that like, you know, you often sort of end up veering off in a direction and then the industry pulls, you continues to pull you in that direction. And so you just follow that path. But I definitely would say I'm passionate when it comes to the outdoors, adventure, travel, and at the root of all of that storytelling. So I love the idea of a story within that. And I think those are themes that you can apply across any sort of client or genre or anything. So it's sort of weaving that into a project for sure. It's kind of maybe why I didn't go the music video direction, for example, which I sort of looked at that as an option when I was first starting out. And I was excited by it because I love the impact of music on creative. But I just felt like it was almost like unless you did one type of music video, which was, again, lots of tools and lots of visuals, it wasn't necessarily like where I got excited. So I ended up sort of leaning more into the commercial world and even some sort of documentary world where I could, I feel like, explore more of my style. Speaking to the beginning of that, how did this all begin for you? Like, what was your journey into this wild freelance career in the beginning? Even when I was like early days high school, I knew I wanted to do this kind of stuff. I wanted to be creative. Again, going back to the storytelling component, I was dabbling in all the arts and photography even. And I was lucky to go to an art school in high school that has a special arts program. But coming out of high school, there really wasn't much in the way of schooling for this sort of thing. Certainly nothing I could afford because I had to pay for it and try to do a job and do that. It just didn't make sense. So, you know, I eventually landed on the fact that I wanted to be in the film industry because I felt like it combined all those different sort of mediums that I was curious about. And I was living in, in Ottawa where there really wasn't much of a film industry. So I was like, okay, Toronto or Vancouver. And uh, when I was sort of 20 years old, I was like, okay, I'm moving to Vancouver. I liked the idea of the lifestyle out here, the outdoor lifestyle. And so I was drawn to that. And then just basically volunteered immediately as soon as I got here. Like I didn't go to school. I just jumped on set and I was doing all anything and everything because it was also a new city for me. So it was also me trying to get, you know, get grounded and get my footing in a new place, let alone a career that has no roadmap. So you know, I was doing extra work. I eventually got into PAing on commercials. And like, as soon as I got into that, I was like, it just took off. Okay. After my first volunteer job, which they paid me for, I was working constantly. So for five years, I basically worked on set and basically went through each of the roles, sort of working my way up and sideways and experimenting. And it was fantastic because commercials are great. They're punchy. You know, you're in and out on a job. So you're learning, you're getting exposed to a lot of new things quickly. There's no union. So you're not standing with a paddle doing parking for three years. It was like I was able to really get involved on in every, every facet of the industry. And we had amazing production managers too at the time who were really respectful of young people trying to develop their talent and learn. So by the end, like I was PAing with another guy who wanted to direct as well. And, and our production managers were like, you know, letting us swap out if we had to, to go to do other things and or giving us access to things. And also the crew that we met, I mean, they were so supportive and they were lending us stuff if we had a pet project we wanted to work on or do a spec project. And so I think in general, the community in the commercial world was incredibly supportive and sort of helped me get exposed to and learn a lot about 
all the departments and all the different people and all the different personalities, which in my role now is completely invaluable because understanding what a grip's motivation is or what a gaffer's motivation is or what the art department's dealing with and have that empathy for what they're going through. So when you something's not working, you're like, okay, well, maybe there's like a legitimate issue here and maybe I can help resolve that, right? By my choices rather than freaking out on it because things happen fast and everyone's trying their best. That was kind of my process. And then it got to a boiling point where I was like, okay, I'm just so antsy. I can't be on set in this capacity anymore. I need to chase my a creative project, which was what was my next step. And how did you begin to build relationships? You said you just showed up and got a job, jumped on set. Like, I mean, how did you even have that first contact? I think that's a big question for people just getting started out is where do I begin? Or like, okay, you have one contact, but how do you make contacts in the other places? Like, how, how did that begin for you? Well, I'd argue it's way easier now. I mean, it's like anything. It, it's it's more flooded now. So there's different challenges. So you have to rise above that noise of there probably being so many people who are doing so many things. So that's a challenge. But I, I think in terms of the, the doorway in, there's more of those doorways. It's like just with social media groups, there's so many projects going on to volunteer on. Like anytime I have this conversation with people starting out in the industry, like I always say, just volunteer, like volunteer on a short film, volunteer on a commercial, because obviously people are going to need your help and take your help. So it's the fastest, easiest way to get on set. Just put aside the whole making money part, get on set. And I think too, it's twofold because I think when people, and I've seen it, when someone comes on and they're volunteering and working just as hard as if they're getting paid full, is a whole other level of respect that I have for that person because I see them busting their butt. They're there early. They're leaving late. They're watching. They're learning. They're treating it like a real job. I'm like, that person's... They're ready. Like They want it and they're showing me that they care and that they're willing to do what it takes. And that's just a great way to learn. And sometimes too, being not being the front person and putting all this pressure on you gives you the opportunity to sit back a little bit and watch what's going on and sort of figure out, okay, what route do I want to go? Because there's so many routes to go. And like I said earlier, I think once you commit, you can always change, but you do get kind of sucked into this like pathway. And it's sometimes hard to get out of that path. So I think in the early days, sort of figuring out what role you want to play and being honest with yourself of what that is, whether you know it's being in the art department, whether it's being in camera, whether it's being in any other sort of role on set, watch it and figure that out and talk to people. And so I think volunteering is key, using those existing groups that are out there, get on a get on someone else's passion project and start to build some skills, learn. And also that's how you build a community because those people you work with become your friends. And inevitably, it's always what I've seen is just like, if you do a good job, someone's going to turn to you, tap you on the shoulder and go, Hey man, I got something happening next week. Do you want to jump on that with me? And it's just, just like energy that just sucks you in. Totally. But you have to, to, it is a community. So you have to, it's not just about working hard. It's also, you know, sometimes there's people who just don't fit and it might not be that you're not right for the job. It might not be the right group for you. Like we all have our friend groups. Sometimes if it doesn't work the first time, experiment with a different group and find that right team. And again, that's where that early experimentation on short films, on commercials, on music videos gives you exposure to all these different sort of genres and different types of sets. And I think it helps sort of 
inform, okay, like, you know what? I love music videos. I'm going to go down this. I'm going to do more of this. And then you'll find joy. Yeah. I mean, something for me I've experienced is just trying to stay top of mind with people. And I mean, perfect example of like, I just hire a couple of grip gaff swings yesterday and who came to mind was just who was in my texts most recently what conversations was i having all the people so i think there's just something i try to always reverse engineer okay that's how i'm choosing people so come on so how do i be that for other people and i think is there anything you would recommend in that space like just being i don't know in people's dms or texting them or phone calls like what things kind of have kept you top of mind in, in the past what you just said, yeah, is absolutely essential because I always laugh because I'll have like really good friends like bump into me and go, oh, yeah, I forgot like you were work in the film industry. And it's like, that's all I've done for the last like <laughs> however many years. Like, how could you forget? But it, it, it's more just a lesson of people don't remember. They're not keeping tabs on what you're doing. And so you do need to keep in a non-annoying way, keep in people's, keep in the back of their mind because a lot of it's timing too, right? You're just right place, right time right when they need someone. And so having like a cyclical system of how do you communicate with people, I think is super effective. Again, social media really helps with that because if you're posting yourself behind the scenes, stuff is so popular, not only with clients, but also just reminding your peers and your community that, oh yeah, like Sally and Jimmy, they're working out there. Those are people I can, I can hire. Keeping that stuff up to date, keeping it like fresh and interesting and, and fun and funny or whatever, like, and clear and concise, you know, so people understand who you are, what you're doing and what you want to do. Because that's the other thing. If people aren't sure about who you are and what you want to do, it creates like uh, this gray cloud. And I think that that's where it's, I think it's really important that that is honing in because again, you can change, but in the short term, honing in on what you are interested in helps other people say, great, I need that. Come on out, right? Because oftentimes people are distracted, they're in a rush and they need to fill a hole and they don't have time to second guess what you're interested in. So you need to make that clear and don't annoy and hound people. Like I think the key thing too is one of the frustrations I sometimes have like you'll see people who are looking for volunteers or help on a short film project or a project is they're nowhere to be found when other people are asking. And then all of a sudden they dip into like Facebook or wherever and say, Hey, come help me. And I'm like, well, kind of where were you when other people were asking? Right. And I think that's that give take thing. Like you need to invest in other people in order to expect to get back from those same people. I think that's where Again, especially early on, just keep focused on give, 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 give and going through like an investment phase for a while. Yeah, I like that. And then you come out of that and it'll have such a lasting impact on your peer group. When they see how much you've given, people will want to help you. And that's the key. You want it to feel like people want to help you, not that they're doing you a favor, even though they are. Yeah, it almost made me think of like a stock analogy where you're constantly investing dripping a certain amount of money per month into an investment account and you know it pays back a certain dividend and eventually you just go out and you take that <laughs> percentage of dividend out and you're just like okay I'll just take a little bit out this month but I'm going to keep putting more in because it needs to grow and so I think if you focus on like you just said give 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 versus ask 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 I think that's a big secret not a secret but yeah a part that it would be really helpful I've found helpful in the past just adding value in general 
Well, and even using that same analogy again is the diversification, right? Like, because the other thing too is the industry's changes, you know, not putting all your eggs in the same basket again, especially early on when I think as time goes, you want to start to be more specific about where ideally you're, you're figuring out what you want and then you could be more and more specific as you go. But I think like diversifying early on, not only just to learn and find that exposure, but also just because like one industry might dry up for a little while. Right. And then another while another industry sort of picks up and it's just sort of covers you a little bit. And, you know, the pandemic was a great learning moment, I think, for a lot of us, because it was like, what do you have to fall back on too? Right. When nobody wants fancy creative things for a period of time, like what's your fallback plan, which for me is like, in a way is what's your trade within the industry, right? It's all good to be creative, but do you have a trade, something that you can do rather than dream up? Yeah, I think that definitely speaks true to my journey. And I think it's so funny how even last summer I was super busy and it was all kind of like with one director and client. And then this year that's gone and it's like, oh, well, what's the next? Did I have other eggs in different baskets now that that basket's gone or that egg's gone (laughs) rather? And I think it just, yeah, always trying to like think of different things and constantly staying in tune with a bunch of different options. Also, just not specific to the film industry. I think it's also smart to be branching out in other areas whatever that means for making income in general, so that when it does dry up, that your bills are still paid. I don't think there's any shame in figuring out what those things are outside of the film industry too, or better yet, if they're in it. But I think it speaks to, how do I say, the comfort level in which you can operate from if you have your finances or at least your bills paid. Yeah, because like, let's also be honest, like it's stressful if you're, you're poor and can't pay your rent. And so like... That's why I always sort of some of a lot of the, what I was saying earlier on spoke to those first few years when maybe it's a little easier to kind of live below your means and stuff and get by and then make that investment. But at some point, yeah, like you need to pay your rent. You need, you may have other sort of things you're responsible for. You're going to, maybe you're going to have kids. Like those are things then become very real. And yeah, like there's only 1% of people in the industry who end up having those dream jobs or even less than that. A lot of us have to make a living. And that's fine because most of the world is just making a living and there's nothing at all to be ashamed of. when it comes to that, it's, it's again, finding the balance. If you can find a way to sort of find that base income that is compatible with you pursuing your dream, it's, you know, it's no surprise why maybe an actor bartends because it frees up their daytime so that they can be, go to auditions. Right. And it's a flexible job where they can like, Their other buddy who's probably a bartender is also could be potentially an actor or someone in the industry. They can flip-flop with each other and support each other. So it's finding that way and you can slowly start to kind of drop those things as you progress and start to make money in the industry. But like, yeah, it's no fun being poor and worried about money and stressed out about money. So like, that's just a real thing. And the other thing too is like, the analogy I use is is it's, it's good to plan in peacetime, not in wartime, because if you're building relationships when things are good, it's a more, I think, constructive process because you're not, there's not this air of desperation where it's like, you know, you've put it off too long and all of a sudden you're like, people are like, whoa, this guy's really yeah, needs right. work. I mean, it really needs work. Whereas instead you could actually go, okay, like here's a list of five people or five clients I want to collaborate with. And so like listing those out, going down the rabbit hole of figuring out 
who they are, where they are, where they're working, and try to build those connections earlier. And then that way, it gives them time to grow and foster in a positive way versus in that desperate wartime way where you're just like you're scraping to find work. Yeah. And that's something I can definitely speak to or ex- I have experienced this and something actually I've been trying to train myself on is, is really just around mindset. And I think it's the exact thing, same thing you're saying, but just using the words like abundance and scarcity. Like I think even though work shuts is super quiet and there's, it's crickets, if I can wake up and still put myself in the mindset of an abundance mindset, like how would I act if work was really busy and I was all the jobs were happening and all the connections were happening, all that. How would I show up to the day? How would I show up to these conversations with people on the phone or whether that's through email? And then how could, because I think that energy, like you said, that's energy people are attracted to. That's energy people want to be around. And if you're showing up in the scarcity mindset, like people sense that and like, whoa, this guy's desperate, like you just said. So I think that's something I've personally been practicing and, and it's definitely not easy, but it's a different frame of mind. And I find it's a good practice personally. Absolutely. And I think there's two things there too, which is there's the early stages of your career and the later stages of your career. I think in the early stages of your career, those gaps are really great opportunities to learn, right? So you can go, that's when like you're starting to get paid now and you're working in it. But if there's a lull, well, maybe there's an opportunity to go volunteer at that camera house because you want to learn more about the cameras or just build up relationships with the camera house or, or dabble in something that you're curious about, right? That's the opportunity to explore And then equally, I think when you're older is seeing those gaps as like opportunities where like, wow, I'm going to actually focus on my life for a little bit here because we all know that you can get carried away and be super busy and away a lot. And it's like, I'm going to spend time not working and doing something different that fills me in a different way so that you regenerate your energy and you feel healthy and ready when those opportunities do come. Because I think that's a big thing for me is like, I've always from square one, I think, thought of this as how do I carve out a life, not a living? You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. you know, how does the work work for my life, not the reverse in many ways, which means sometimes sacrificing things in the work world, but it also, I think, creates balance. That's something I, I'm feeling these days is just trying to, okay, this career path is a lifestyle. It's not a job. And I think that's a hard part to explain to friends and family. <laughs> but realistically, something that I'm personally working on is like, how do I kind of show up as much for my personal life as I am for my business life? Because I think it's really easy to get obsessed as a entrepreneurial minded freelance creative who's just kind of obsessive about what I do. How could I also put that energy into showing up in my partnership or in my friendships or whatever else or into the hobbies that I'm into or whatever it is? So I think that, like you said, striking a fine balance or a healthy balance with both is important because I've definitely gone way too far down one side. And honestly, if you just live for your business and for this creative, I think there's uh, mental health that will begin to suffer. Absolutely. And again, not to sound like been around forever. But that is something I like you definitely learn. Like I've literally had that conversation of like, do I take this job, which will I think advance me or go on this dream trip we've been planning with my partner, right? It's tricky. There's no easy answer to that. But what I would say is like, I look back and go, I remember the dream trips. I don't remember the jobs. And, but that could just be also could just be me. There's different value sets. And some people get way more out of their work than others. And that's fine. That's fair. But I do think that 
it's like before you know it, a decade slips by and you've, you haven't fostered that personal life and that home time. And all of a sudden, Ooh, where'd that go? Right. I just had my head down working from 5am until midnight and haven't had any real time. And there is sometimes you got to go through those phases, but, but sometimes it's just, it's unhealthy. And I think that I feel like things are getting a little bit better in that regard too. Like I also feel like there's this weird masochistic mentality when it comes to the film industry where like, I always laugh when we got the shots, we got what we achieved and it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like a lot of the crew don't know what to do with themselves. Like they, they want to keep working and I'm like, no, no, like we, we got it. Like now we're just wasting time. Like now we're just filming more for the sake of it. And to be honest, as someone who works on the whole process and is involved in post-production, it's actually kind of frustrating because now I'm, you're shooting a bunch of content you're not going to use. It's more content I have to log and deal with and, and go through. So there's an efficiency at times just saying, you know, we're not like not thinking of it, of it as getting paid by the hour. We're getting paid to deliver a product or an idea or a project. And so it's like, you know what? Today we got lucky. Everything worked in our favor. We're done early. Let's take it. Because tomorrow things might go wrong and we work twice as long as we, than we expected. So I just find it amusing that I think we've set this tone that we have to like, we always have to be working. And sometimes it's better just to walk away and it, it allows you to kind of be fresh and ready for when the, the hard stuff comes. Yeah, I feel that. When it comes to picking your, your kind of place in this industry, you pick directing and writing. and I'm curious why of all the things you spoke to, like going through in the beginning, trying all the things on set, what had drawn you into this specifically? Well, I think because from the outset, I always knew storytelling was at the heart of what I wanted to do and like creating characters, creating scenarios, creating scenes. And obviously those two roles were the key roles in that part of the process. And I hate to use this word, but allowed some level of control over those things too. I also would argue that I'm, I've never been a great technician, meaning I've never been one of those people who like gets super obsessed with gear, who gets like super obsessed with every like function of the gear. I'm more focused and excited by results and the story and how the tools, don't get me wrong, I respect the tools and, and appreciate how much like they make, can make or break our, our jobs or our projects. But I don't, that's not the place where I want to spend my energy. I prefer to spend my energy in the conceptual part of it. I think too, sometimes not everyone can appreciate how much energy and time goes into the conceptual part. Like staring at a white wall is part of the process. You need to give yourself that space and time. It's still a process, right? It doesn't just like ideas don't just always pop out automatically or fall from trees. Like you need to do some homework. You need to explore, especially with commercial project. You need to understand who your client is. You need to understand who your agency is. You need to understand like what the concept is, do the homework and then juggle and balance all of these different needs. And I think the biggest thing that's overlooked is the politics. Sometimes like one of my frustrations sometimes is I'll walk on set and maybe someone on the crew or team and I'm like, here's what we're doing. We got to go. And they aren't privy to the thousand conversations that have happened leading up to that decision. And they'll logically 
question the choice because maybe it isn't the best creative choice or maybe it isn't like there are other options, of course. But again, sometimes I just have to give the look of like, look, trust me, I've fought this battle <laughs> a thousand times and I have you have to pick and choose. You can't win them all. And that's part of just understanding, I think, the politics of it. And so you say your piece, you fight, but at some point you got to let go because you're not the only one. And sometimes we are just servicing the need of a client and we have to respect that. And sometimes my favorite projects can just be those ones where it's like, this is easy. Like it's clear, it's not exciting, but you know what? Like we can just, we can make this client or this person happy by using our skill set, And that feels good. Like more and more, sometimes I find some of the smaller projects are the most rewarding because the big ones are just so full of those politics and those dynamics, which are challenging, right? And they could be worth it because the end product is, is exciting or the challenge is big, but you can't always do that, right? Like it's finding, again, going back to what we were talking about before, about finding that variety and that balance. Is, that's where, too, it can be good to have the big projects that kind of happen sporadically through the year. But having a bunch of little projects to fill in those gaps are quite nice because you just can't always wear all your emotions on your sleeve at all the time. You'll just burn out. So having those quote unquote easier ones or more direct ones is nice. It's a nice way to mix it up. Everyone gets out there. It's kind of like you all get to flex your muscles on set and then keep active and be ready for those big ones. Yeah, I agree. Speaking to the creative process of being a director, so let's say a, a treatment pops up in your email. I'm curious a little bit about your process in itself, because you talked about, okay, staring at a white wall and you have a bit of a process probably around coming up with ideas, or maybe something is if you're coming up pitching on something from scratch. Yeah, I'm curious to know a bit about those steps you take personally. So first and foremost is understanding the pitch. So it's just trying to get as much information as possible. I think sometimes it's easy to think, oh, just because it's written there, it's it's done, it's complete. There's no questions to be asked. But I think that's a like first and foremost, the great there's a great opportunity to ask questions and just understand what is the creative team who's giving us this treatment? Like what are some of the challenges that they're facing? Like I kind of like having parameters. I think they're healthy for the creative process. So in a, in a weird way, understanding budget limitations or location limitations or time limitations, I find are kind of exciting because they sort of, it kind of helps at least carve a path and kind of rein you in a little bit because sometimes, again, that white wall can be scary, but if there's a little, a little sketch on that white wall, it gives you somewhere to start. And that anchor, I call it like usually an anchor point. So I just trying to find what that anchor point is. And so I think speaking to the team you might be working with, understanding what that anchor point is, understanding the concept from their perspective, do that homework. And then you're like, okay, I feel comfortable that I'm going down the best possible path to service this project. And then from there, for me, it's like you need just some time to absorb it. And that could come in many different ways. Like I find I get some of my best ideas when I'm active. So like going out for a bike ride and I'm Sometimes it's a luxury, but having some time to let ideas filter in. And so being open to that and then challenging those ideas and flipping them on their head a little bit and considering those alternatives. I work hard at continuing to fill a library of visual content and reference content that I keep, whether it be written or, or stills or video, especially stills, I find, because ultimately you're going to need imagery to help 
sort of articulate your idea. So building a library of those visuals, things I just, I like, I can't explain why, like if I see an image and I'm like, oh yeah, I love that. It reflects something I feel personally, then I'll put that away and I'll file it away in a specific category. Like I use, obviously use Instagram and all those other visual social media apps and stuff, but like Pinterest has been good for me because I can organize in folders. And so like I'll have a commercial folder and I'll have travel, adventure, sport. And like, if I just, I'll get notifications, I'll go, I'll try to spend like every day. I'm sure I'm spending at least 15 minutes or more consciously and subconsciously looking at imagery, clicking on imagery and saving imagery that I like, not knowing why, but then when a job comes, it's really difficult to start searching for imagery that reflects your idea when you've got a day or two days or sometimes an hour. But if you have that imagery there that you can tap into, very quickly you can piece together something that not only only helps me and my team be focused on what the idea is, or at least narrow down the idea, it then can make up, start to build the treatment that you're going to showcase. Because oftentimes you can say everything you want to say, but until someone sees it, it's hard for them to really appreciate what you're trying to articulate. So having that reference material is is incredibly valuable. And then just pulling from life experience, to be honest. That's where I think too, having doing other stuff outside the industry is incredibly valuable. And I think as people get more and more experienced, they probably start to focus in on the things that they're more in tune with. Like you do projects that you connect with personally. Because it shows. It shows in your work. We're not all carved out to be a specific director necessarily. Maybe you can bring your style to every genre, but there's oftentimes there's just certain genres or certain clients or whatever you're probably just best suited to. And that's just common sense. When it comes to like practically, you've spoke to how to kind of like compile some of the imagery that you're attracted to. Is there anything like when it comes to writing, you say you're on the bike, an idea pops in your brain, like how are you capturing that or where are you putting it? Because like, are you, <laughs> are you voice memoing through your headphones? Like, I mean, I don't know. I got funny things like that too. There's no perfect way and it drives me crazy because that's why I think I have like 10 different things I use and it, it I still have never found the sweet spot with that. It's tricky. And so like, and I have a terrible memory. And so like, I'll think I come up with this amazing idea and I'll go, oh, this is so good. I will definitely not forget this one. And then I get home and I'm like, I have no idea what that idea was. <laughs> I've come to peace with that, knowing that they'll usually come back around or whatever. But, you know, I'll pull over and I'll write a couple of, sometimes just a couple of words will just will help me trigger the memory again. If I write a, a messy sentence, it's enough that I'll be like, okay, I know what I was thinking. And it'll, it'll get me back in that headset or mindset. But I think like, especially when you're on a job or planning for a job or there's a project coming up, like I think you're more in tune with that. So you're like, oh yeah, I really need this stuff. So like, I'm going to take a moment to either write it I'm sure there's been many times where I'm like riding dangerously because I've got one hand <laughs> on my bar, one hand on my phone, trying to type it like a message. And to be honest, it's kind of why I go ride places where it's like, there is no traffic. So I have that. that yeah. That luxury. Yeah, exactly. Or just pull over. But yeah, like I keep an active running notes tab and I've got a million of those. So like I'll have one that's just like for the week, which is just random thoughts. And then I'll, go back through them and then file them away into longer term buckets or I'll delete them because they seemed great at the time and were actually kind of ridiculous. And so, you know, it's kind of filtering and letting go. But right now I have like three or four active either feature film or series concepts that are like 
actually serious about that. And I keep very, very detailed ongoing documents and notes that I just keep dropping in sometimes just in point form into those so that when I have a week where I can start writing on a script or I can work on something, I go there, I can quickly scan through, refresh. I even create musical playlists, like especially for films. So I'll create a soundtrack, put that soundtrack and almost like on and almost immediately, like I'm transplanted into the tone of my concept. And it just helps me leap into that world very quickly because I think that's the challenging part too, is we're, you're being pulled in a million different directions. And if you're working on a project, you're having to answer all these emails about everything. And before you know it, like your day is gone and to carve out, to be able to like flip flop between creative ideas that have very different tones or purpose can be tricky. And so having those shorthands, like I can pull up a Pinterest page. That's just all imagery reflecting that concept. I can put on a soundtrack that I've created that reflects just that project. I can read some notes. It's like in five minutes, I could be in that world and I can transition into that world, especially if it's a longer term project, like a film or a series where, you know, your personal investments a little bit longer. It's tricky, but it's like, I'm a big fan of your of environment. And it's like, like I've gone into coffee shops where I, for some reason I can't write a lick. And then I've gone to another coffee shop and I just feel like it's pouring out of me. And I don't know what that is. And that's just an analogy, obviously, but I think it's part of just that creating an environment that sets you up for success. And if I learned anything from that art school that I went to, it was really just like we were marked on process. And although I'm not necessarily a master of process still, I think what I appreciate from that, what they were trying to teach us was like the final product is just what pops out at the end but it's the process and the collaboration is where all the work is done. When we show up on set, you've already done most of the work. It's like I say with adventure races that I do or people do. And it's like, when you show up at the start line, you've already done all the work. Now it's just, you just go, you're just reacting now, but all the work's been done. And that's the part, like I've become more proud of showing up at a start line than the finish line, because it's harder and harder and harder to arrive at that start line. I talked about that earlier about trying to make a film. It's just like, if I ever got to the start line, when I get to the start line of a film, I'll be like, yeah, man, I, I made it. Like <laughs> if this bombs or whatever happens, it's just a circus circumstances. Yeah, right. Obviously we'll do our best job, but like getting to that start line, that's where, the, where all the work is. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the biggest thing is probably overlooked from a general sense of people who just don't know how the industry works or how creative process works or whatever it is. It's just like, Oh, like, what work is for them is like when you're holding a camera and pointing it at something, or if you're holding a monitor and saying something to someone where it's just like, wow, if, yeah, like you just said, once we get to that point, so much of the work is already done. So yeah, it's process-based industry, I guess you could say like that. Yeah, the creative process is so huge in that. I really appreciate you going through those little bits of your process. Cause I think it's, everyone has such a different one, whether that's like, I love hearing that you have the Pinterest board and you put on the tracks and then you're going through writing where you're compiling it over time. You know, everyone's got their own thing and I've been slowly developing mine too. So I'm always very curious to hear other people's process. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think it's, again, it goes back to that. You got to be investing all the time because it's just, you can't expect it just to pop 
you know, when the moment comes and the, one of the funniest things I, I remember hearing from a, a guy I know who's a director and a writer too. And I ran into a coffee shop and he was just finishing up another screenplay. And he kind of just muttered to me, he's like, Oh man, cause I've almost done this script, but I've never had so many showers in my life. And I, <laughs> I laugh because it sounds ridiculous, but like what you do that too. It's like when I'm in the middle of writing or in the creative process, there's something about like, I don't know if it's the white noise I was like, I do that too. I'm glad I don't feel like I'm the only weirdo. But again, it's uh, it's a weird process and it's okay that it's weird. But, you know, make your life easier by constantly investing a little bit into it every day so that you're not suddenly having to like do it all in the last minute and then it's super stressful. Yeah, so note to all you aspiring directors, uh, take more showers, I think is the key, is the key takeaway here. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. When it comes to like finding a DP, so you've got the treatment, you've come up with some concepts. How are you thinking about working with a DP? What are the things that you're looking for when you're selecting someone to work with? Well, definitely for me, it's a few things. Partially, honestly, it's personality. Because like, again, and it's something that's overlooked when we talked about the idea of a community, like you're building relationships within a community. These are very intense and intimate relationships. And they just like will not work unless you're compatible. And that can come in so many different ways. Like sometimes it's, for me, I often think it's someone who compliments you, who brings something, like I said, I'm not necessarily, I don't want to get bogged down in the technical technician component. So if I have someone typically I trust who knows that speaks my shorthand language. So like when I say I want something, they get it, which leads to the next biggest thing, which I think is trust. And that takes experimentation. So you can need to work with people and also accept that, you know what, this didn't work and that's okay. We did this. They're great at their job. I'm still good at my job, but we don't, we're not compatible in terms of our working relationship. That's totally okay. And it's someone again with that trust is like, who knows when to speak up on the day when things are happening fast and challenge your ideas, but also to know when to like tone it down because at some day someone's got to make a final decision. And if everyone always has a different way of doing it all the time, it just gets really disruptive. And it's not an ego thing. It's just a reality thing. So that shorthand of how to like help complement each other, push each other, but also know like, okay, this is what we need to do right now. And we're doing it and go for it. And it's also like, who's that person who can bring something when you're not there? Like, what if you had to step away and, but something needed to be shot, right? Like they, you could trust them to stick to your vision, be loyal to what the purpose is, right? Not to their own personal gain. Even if it was like something I wrote at the end of the day, it's now on the page. So we're servicing the script, not my needs or your needs. It's like, we're servicing the story. And so are you, what's best for that? Because again, I've, I've had situations where people are so focused on using a specific tool or wanting to do some cool effect that they've been hoping to do that they're just trying to dump it onto the project. And it's like, I get that that's cool, but that's not really relevant here. So like, we're not servicing the project anymore. So I think it's having that relationship, that trust. Sometimes it's like, to be honest, having people who aren't competing with each other like I've, I've run into that situation where it's like a DP really just wants to direct and that's great, but like it can work for a while, but then sometimes can become challenging because you're, you're less complement each other and more grinding against each other, clashing visions and stuff. And so that's huge. And then 
obviously beyond that, then it's just like, ultimately inherently, you just have a tone and a style that's compatible. Like their work speaks to the style that you're hoping to achieve. And that's why too, sometimes maybe you need to mix up. Like there's some people who do the same kind of product every single time. And they like to be that, have that consistency. And then there's some people who might want to explore and dabble in different things. And then it might make sense to mix up who that person is. But typically, yeah, like you do end up working with someone over and over again, because you build that relationship, you build that trust. It's a, such an important partnership and it just feels so good when you walk on again, I love using analogies. And so it's like, I think of Daz boot and being on a submarine or something. And if you're a director and you're the captain and you have your orders of where to take the ship, but to have that first mate that you can just so trust to keep things moving forward and achieving your goals. It's just like, it takes that so much stress away from the project and it makes it fun. If you love hanging out with this person and you just like this person, you're spending a lot of time together and good through good and bad. And that's healthy. If it's an unhealthy relationship, then I think it would be tricky. I agree. It's such a, almost a marriage in the creative space. And you're right. So much of it comes down to trust, which is a funny one because I mean, to gain trust, you have to work together. So there is some apparent risk that needs to happen at some point. And then you're either going to click or you're not. And, but ultimately I think, yeah, that's a, an interesting process. I'm sure as a director to constantly be seeking those relationships. And I'm sure once you find them, you probably stick with certain DPs that you just know are repeatable because big job comes along. You're like, oh God, like I don't want to take a risk on someone new, but maybe that's maybe where personal projects come in or something that's not as high stakes and you can start to build up relationships with other DPs. Is that maybe how you've worked in the past? Absolutely. And that's the other advantage of doing like spec spots and stuff is that Lots of us are doing spec spots throughout our life, whether that's what you call them or not. But if you're constantly trying to change and grow, you're sometimes forced to do those sort of side projects or spec projects because those cool projects or those projects you identify with don't just always fall in your lap. And that can be challenging to get in the door on those. So sometimes you have to create them yourself, whether it just be because you just want to experiment and play around or because you want to build your reel to show people this is really what I can do or really want to be doing. But those are really great opportunities to also build up your team or find new people. Like every time we've done a short film or a spec or some kind of project of that nature, what I love is that typically I'll come out of it meeting someone new who then ultimately become a staple within our crew, or at least that's kind of how it's worked out. And so you can see that from both sides, right? You can see that as if you're that young and aspiring person or someone looking for new teams to work with, how advantageous that can be. But then equally, how do you know who's out there or how, what someone can do until you, you try and do a job. And sometimes you're tried and true on a, on a commercial job because you just, you can't afford to take that risk. But when you're experimenting on smaller jobs, you can take some risk. And that's where it's pretty fun. You're like, I don't know if I want to go down this path creatively, but like, here's my chance to do that. And it's invaluable for growth. Yeah. I am a firm believer in passion projects or spec for growth purposes. I think ultimately when there is a client or boards and agenda, you can only go so far when it comes to the creative side or specifically for me as a DP, obviously experimenting with different lighting techniques or whatever that might be. 
how important do you think the spec projects have been or in your career? Are, are you a big proponent of them? Absolutely. I mean, they're all of our best work, I would say. I would argue everyone. It's ironic that all our clients will look at in the past, will look at our work and go. And then ultimately, the things that jump out are the spec spots. And there's some limitation. For example, like I would say, too, if you're doing spec spots to even potentially work with a, a young agency person who's trying to also get into the agency world or a creative director, like there is some value in going through the process in a very legitimate way because. If you're creating a short film, it's one thing, but I think if you're trying to do spec commercial, it's another. A spec commercial needs to reflect a real commercial in some respects too, right? Like it needs to show that you can work with a client in an agency to create something realistic, but certainly it allows you to craft something that is indicative of the style you want to portray. And sometimes they don't work and that's okay too, right? How do you know? And then you're like, ooh, okay, that didn't really quite land where I thought it would. And so great, I can bury that and try again. Or just walk away and go, hey, I learned something new. Not all of these work out. So, but going down that path and and experimenting is absolutely critical. And they have been, I would say, a critical part of moving forward. And I'm always thinking of them just because, to be honest, the reason I got into this in the first place was the creative process. And so, Sometimes I'm just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got to make money and I forget. But like, I'm always looking for, look no further than the, the feature film projects. Like I've spent money on these projects. I haven't made money on these projects, but the whole process has been super rewarding still because I'm chasing something and I'm allowed to be creative and explore and still hone my trade and learn and meet new people. And so there's still something positive that's coming out of that process. That being said, it's also like being smart about it. The one particular feature film project we've been developing for a while is big. The story is big. The locations are big. And that's just because it's a real story. So you can't get around that. It's made it challenging. But in hindsight now, I'm like, oh, maybe that was that was a lot. And it is a lot. And it's why it's taken so long. Because... I or whomever doesn't have necessarily the clout to trigger and green light a project of that scale. And so even recently, I've been thinking way more pragmatically. And it's like, what's a feature film I can get made that I still am excited about and passionate about? And so that's kind of what I'm doing now is like, okay, how do I squeeze in these other projects in a realistic way? Because you also just can't be investing constantly into your career making stuff and paying for it unless you're, you know, independently wealthy. The other thing is time. And, you know, we haven't even touched on time, but time is like one of the biggest things for me and the biggest ways now in which I think I reflect on my decisions and all these things take time. So where are you going to put your time? And so that's huge. And that's a huge, huge thing. And figuring out how to balance that is so important. Yeah. I mean, time's one of those things we only get so much of. I mean, you can make as much money as you want, but you can't make as much time as you want. So I think it's more important to focus on the the first one, inevitably, what you really care about making of your life in general. So yeah, I think we spoke to a little bit originally just how are getting obsessed rather and taking personal time. But ultimately, I mean, yeah, time is the limited thing we have in life. So and maybe that leads to a little bit about the creative process when it comes to, I guess, the mindset rather and the resilience it might take to be in this industry. I'd like to speak to a little bit about that. And obviously it's inevitable that it's going to be quiet 
at times and it's going to be really busy at times. How have you coped with that in the past or become comfortable in the unknown and ebbs and flows, let's say? I would say that, I mean, honestly, I think there's just some people who have a personality that's geared toward this kind of work. And I think that figures itself out pretty quickly. There's just some people it's just too stressful, just freelance in general, let alone film industry. And so I think there's, if you're curious about it, go do it for a little while. And if it's not for you, fine, then you can go and you've explored that and you can move on or you can, you find a role within the industry. That's a a little safer because there are safer roles within the industry, right? Where it's like you focus on a trade. Like if you want to work within a trade and you're pretty good at that, meaning like within a specific department or something, right? You could probably find a career that way. But I think, for example, in my case, and people have a similar path as me, the way I look at it is I wake up and nothing's going to happen unless I continue to move the ball forward in many respects. Like, of course, I rely on other people and other teams and they help push that forward. But that's the really scary part is like, you have to drive these projects. You know what I mean? If you're not passionate about it, you're not motivating. Like a lot of this role is about motivating others and staying positive. And sadly, sometimes it's about putting on a brave face when things are low because you can't go moping about. Otherwise, it'll just filter through the rest of the team. And so keeping that energy is is tricky. And I think, again, that goes back to balance and why, for me, it's always been about living my life as much as building a career. And so I have lots of other things that fuel me. I try to have a lot of crossover in terms of things I'm excited about in my life with things that within the film industry itself. So doing, you know, even just last year, doing a race with my son and making a little documentary about it. That was when I look back at my year, like that was one of my favorite things. It wasn't like it was a massive project, but I got to create something and it was raw. It was real. I got to do this amazing life event with my son. And like, what more could I ask for? Like I was able to dig up, sponsorship and enough money to, to pay for it and make it happen. And that's great. Like more, I didn't make a cent off that. I mean, but that's not the point. And so again, I think the balance part is, is, is huge for me. And I've been able to figure that out. And then I think build those relationships and build a community that I can go back to where you're not lying to each other about how your life, you know, you're in a good place when the people you work with are like, Hey, I'm going to the cottage this weekend. I know we have that conference call. I'm going to be calling from there. Like there's just like an honesty and it's like, you're not putting your life on hold because you have a client. It's like, Oh yeah, don't worry about it. Just don't, don't put your video on and I'll do most of the talking because that's what this world affords us. It affords us a level of flexibility that if we don't take advantage of it, then why bother? So I think it's, that's the part that sometimes gets lost is we're so busy trying to like, create this career that we forget how we can, how our life can sort of weave into all of that. And I think with the pandemic, the people become a lot more open and honest about things. Like just because people are working at home, it's hard to put on this facade of amazingness all the time. You know what I mean? And nobody expects it. I was laughing because we had this like pitch with like, there were literally 12 clients on a video call and like five agency. It's like, I couldn't even see everybody because there was so many little boxes on the screen. (laughs) And I kind of warned the account manager from the agency, like my son is sick and he's home and I don't know how much Paw Patrol is going to keep him busy. So just be aware. 
Sure enough, he came into the call and put an ice pack on my back. I'm not even sure why, <laughs> like where he found it. He came and served me a cup of coffee and he's like, oh he goodness. was three at the time. And I'm like, what? But it, funny enough, I didn't miss a beat. And I think in a way, I think it might've even ingratiated myself to the, to the client. Cause they're like, he's, there's a human being. And why, why do we need to pretend? Like, I don't need to pretend that I'm not a dad. Like I can do both. I think that level of honesty, which a comes with time and experience, but I'm glad, or I hope that that becomes the norm further to that. I'm at a place too, where like, I really like the people I work with. That's so great. Like we're about to go on a one week trip away somewhere right now. And we're going to be on the road. And I'm, I'm just as, as excited because I get to spend time with these people as much as the work. And what a great place to be. That's what we should be striving for. Because again, we are a community. We're a family of people spending a lot of time together, sometimes debating and arguing, and, and but leaning on each other and sort of fostering that kind of community is just, I think that's what makes it lasting. Yeah. I mean, filmmaking for me always feels like such a team sport. There's no way you're going to do it alone. Interesting, like photography for me. I mean, you can usually get away with like just yourself or an assistant to hold a softbox or something like that. But I feel like specifically with film, it definitely always is a lot of moving parts, a lot of opinions and just friendships, relationships. It's all got to come together and like a bunch of skilled people who also are good humans to get a, a great end product. And I think that's something that I'm also very attracted to about this industry is just finding good people who share similar values and want to create the same work. And then when you're doing the quote unquote work, it doesn't feel like work. It's just like, this is, I would do this anyway, you know? So I think that's such a beautiful thing to get to in your career and something I would uh, say is worth fighting for. And it impacts the work, right? Because everyone wants to work those extra two, three hours into the night. There's times where we've like, everyone's like, we're going to camp out up on this mountain so we can get what we need to get. And then when everyone's excited by it, they're not going to make me go camp up there or make me feel guilty. If I don't, it's not like we're like, Hey, this, we're making an adventure out of this. And I think that's part of like having the same spirit. I've worked with, with teams too, who just don't like the kind of work, that kind of work. And that's totally fine. I think naturally it works itself out over time and experience, but like, there are people who are probably best suited to working in a studio and there are people who are best suited to working in the elements on a mountainside. And that is totally fine. Speaking to a little bit of the harsher environments and maybe where your work lands, I feel like you have a little bit of a, a glutton for punishment when it comes to looking over some of the trips you did. I was reading last night, just doing a little bit of research and seeing that you had completed the ITI, which is a thousand mile adventure race, 16 days on a fat bike in the dead of winter with uh, temperatures of like minus 30 to minus 45. What draws you to these type of trips or why do you seek them out in life? I stumbled into that world for sure. Like the whole bike pack racing thing, just was something, I think it touched a nerve of something I was interested, always interested in. I always loved the outdoors and adventure. I love stories around that. And I, I think it does go back to storytelling. I think these adventures enable me to tell my own story. So I learn a lot about myself in those environments. And I feel like I'm literally physically writing a story as I go. And I do, I write articles for different periodicals and stuff on the side. And again, that's not at all for the money because I, I just love it. And it's a way of expressing myself. So I get a lot of joy from that component. I also just get a lot of 
I find the balance of the challenge, the physical challenge that keeps me healthy and keeps me motivated is important, something different. And it, and it feeds almost like a passion jar. It's like, it keeps, if you keep pulling from that jar, you need to refill it. And so going out and doing these things, being exposed to different environments and people, I mean, I love traveling and I love different cultures. So like these races, like I've done them in Morocco, I've done Scotland, I've done it in Arctic, I've done it in different places. And there's such an intimate way to experience a place. And that's a way for, to, to feed my, my energy and my ideas. And so I think that's a big part of it. And it's kind of how I started too. Like I, when I was 25 and made that transition from being on set, I was looking for a project and I was doing like little weekend adventure races and stuff, nothing big or whatever. And the guy that was winning them, I was like, Hey, are you doing anything uh, interesting and cool? I'm looking to make a project. He's like, yeah, I'm going to Alaska in in three weeks or three months. You want to come film that? I'm like, yep. I just dug up, I was super naive, dug up all the things I thought I needed, went out there to Alaska and filmed this race for a month. And it was the most incredible, rewarding experience of my life. And it was like that moment where I was like, man, like I persevered. I, I can do anything, not only from a career perspective, but like from a personal perspective, it was like a really, really big moment for me. And Inevitably, I ended up starting to do those events physically being the person doing the events, but it was a perfect example. Like I started my career making a film about something I was passionate about on a personal level. And so the two kind of came together right from the outset. Maybe I was always destined to go down that way, or maybe it was just luck or whatever, but obviously that's what I was looking for. And that's what I found. And I continue to look for those things like the film projects, the book that I have, the stories that I've optioned and that I'm writing and working on are things where, yeah, that I'm passionate about or in love with because it just makes sense. I don't want to spend all this time chasing something just because I think it's financially viable because there's no such thing. Like you just never know what's going to work. So you might as well explore subjects that make you excited and that you love. And I don't think that's rocket science, but I do think like, applying it is a whole other thing. And yeah, like it also can make it give you an opportunity to stand out as something different. What I like about, for example, doing projects in weird environments is I love the rule of like, you plan like 75% and the 25% is that magic you experience out there. And usually the 25% is what really elevates the project you're working on. And putting yourself in interesting and unique environments is it just heightens that potential. If you're somewhere safe it's harder to find that and mine that that content. And I think like I'm very much driven by curiosity. So I'm always kind of curious about, oh, like what's what's around that corner or what's what's over there? And it's like, but until you kind of explore it, you know, you don't know. And then you're like, oh wow, that was that was fascinating. So I kind of like having that element of the unknown and and then throwing a little drama in there too, to just like make it even more interesting. Like I write stories about family bike packing now because it's, it's still an adventure. It's a different adventure and different challenges, but like inherently a race pushes you in a way that mistakes and weird things happen, which creates drama. So it's, it's fascinating and it pushes us to our limits. And so, yeah, I can learn more about myself as much as anything. It sounds like you can kind of find the story or you're like writing the story of your own journey in your head while doing these things. And it's the pursuit of these things that give you 
the plot and the and the character and all these all those sorts of things. That was pretty cool. Absolutely, and I mean, in a weird way too. There's kind of like I deal with this on both sides, whether in the film industry or in the bikepacking world, where we often all feel like you, know, you hear it a lot. We feel like frauds, but by doing things, you build like a legitimacy, right? That's really powerful that you don't even realize like how much it's impacting you until you suddenly find yourself on a call and someone's saying, yeah, we're doing this project. You're like, oh, wow, like I've done this, this and this and all of these things tie back into this project. Like I have a personal experience with this thing and it, it gives you confidence and you can't underestimate that power, right? Of being able to speak to something very, very specifically. Like it just makes you feel like a better human. How do you quantify that, right? It's pretty amazing. And of all the things that you're kind of like have on the back burner or working on consistently, what is the main thing that's kind of firing you up right now or or guiding you at this point? Because we've talked about the beginning of how you started out doing a film up north for a month and that really changed who you are. Like fast forwarding to now, what's kind of that exciting for you at the moment? Great question. I think what's good is I feel like I've got a structure in terms of that, like the career part of my life is sort of clear and and I can wake up each day and kind of know where that's going, which is very freeing for me from a creative process. And I think really it's trying to drive these bigger creative projects, like film projects are kind of looming for me. There's something I really want to see through So I think that's really what excites me because there's obviously stories I really, really, really want to tell, but yeah, they they are definitely extremely challenging. And so I think it's continuing to find those creative projects that they're short, medium and long-term, you know, because sometimes you can get so fixated on that big, big, big project that there's, you're just not feeding your short-term needs. And so I think right now I'm sort of, trying to map out what are those short, medium projects as well, so that they also could become building blocks for like, what I find interesting is like, for example, this, this film we've been developing, it's been over 10 years, which is shocking to me. When you look back, you're like pandemic happened two years, just evaporate where the industry is just like not even talking, you know, another six months because it was with a high level actor who took that long just to read it and then came back and said, no, and you're not allowed to shop it to anyone else. So we're like, Oh, okay. That's six months. It just evaporated. Do that five times. And all of a sudden another three years is gone. Right. And then once three or four or five years goes by, the industry's changed. So all of a sudden technology's changed. Like our concept relies on a level of technology in the industry. So you're like, Oh, wow. Okay that's changed. So what we thought maybe we couldn't do for that budget. Now we can. So now you rewrite the script to adapt to that. So you're just like, it's like you're rebuilding constantly on the fly. It's kind of like probably like a sports team. You know, you got one shot at the Stanley cup, you miss it. And then you got to do a quick little rebuild on the fly. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that's why I described it as a house of cards. Like we've come so close so many times, but then that one, that thing that was just going to trigger it, goes away. And now you put all your marbles in that on that thing for a year. And you've got to, not only do you have to regroup on a practical level, you have to like regroup on an emotional level, you know, like it takes a lot. Like you just spent all this capital, you're riding this wave of energy and you have to keep that up, keep that up. And it's just like, whew, it just gets pulled out from under you. And you're like, now what? And so that's a tough thing. And so I think that 
having those shorter term goals and doing those shorter projects that feed that energy a little bit and give back so that you're filling that cup again is so important because I just think it can get very, very draining and frustrating. But then, you know, eight years goes by and you go, wait a minute, like I'm more experienced. I can take on a bigger role in this project or I'm more confident and I can talk to this person. Like I remember the first time I went to the film festivals and walked around and was shopping the concept. And I was just like, I was so distracted by the why, like, how does this work? <laughs> like, I don't even know, right? Like, I was just fumbling my way through. But then, like, if I was to go now, I'd walk in with a different, way different confidence. Like, no, 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 you need this project versus like, oh, please, can you please make my project? That's just time. Yeah, that kind of comes back to that abundance versus scarcity mindset. I mean, all those types of things come through life lessons and tribulations and the journey. And so, I mean, a big one, it sounds like is resilience. Some of these big trips, I feel like maybe have really taught you the resilience we need in this film to be, to be working in the film industry, you know, as a director or writer, or DP or whoever you are. So it's kind of cool to see the crossover I'm sure is really helpful at some points. Yeah, absolutely. And like the kind of stuff that I'm doing in my personal life, I would love to be telling those kinds of commercial stories, like not only just film stories or TV series, hopefully I can pull that kind of like those experiences, raw experiences into the work that we're doing. Like that's the next level really. And if people see that you live and breathe that, you know, in your own life, it's easier to sort of trust that that's something you can then bring to this commercial product. So again, it goes back to the balance. They can balance each other out and feed each other. But yeah, at the end of the day, we're human beings and we need to refuel ourselves. And so what I like about these adventures too, is they're, they're tangible. I'm in control of them. The part that can be frustrating is when I wake up, I'm not always in control of that film project because, or control of a commercial project because I'm waiting for other people to make decisions that impact me or I'm waiting for responses. And so this is something that I can do that's tangible that nobody can, you know, I can show up at that line, I can go and whatever my outcome is and experiences is wholly built upon what I put into it. And in a way, it's kind of probably a bit of a therapy for the unknown part that happens all the other times, right? It gives me a chance to feel like I'm in control of something and have that experience because it, you know, does take a toll trying to develop projects. And you're like, did I just waste 10 years of my life? Well, no, like it wasn't like every waking hour was spent on that, but it's easy to think that, right? Like it's easy to go like, what am I doing? I so admire, like, I think the most recent one was uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front, the German version that just won a lot of the awards. Oh uh, yeah. Love that one. I read their backstory and it took them 17 years from when they originally optioned the rights to that story. 17 years. Wow. And it's interesting. She was a triathlete and she was like putting the, the money she was winning from that. Cause she was, I guess, quite good. And back into the project, they mortgaged their home. Like imagine all those risks. And all, all I could think about on the day when they were winning those awards was, wow, man, congratulations that like you stuck through that and made that film. Again, whatever you think of the film or, or you know, Obviously, it's being awarded and such, but the fact that like I have way more empathy for even bad films because you know what I'm like they got it made and often like a bad film is just a bunch of things just got unlucky too sometimes like the idea was there 
it just didn't click. Like we've all seen what happens when things don't click, right? Like when a crew just doesn't come together or something's going on with the actor or whatever, like who knows who, what's going on. And it's so difficult to make, not only to make something, but then to make something that's great or has substance. That's like kudos. Totally. And it really comes back to just all about being, you know, it's a lifestyle, really enjoying the ride. It's a journey. And I think, and that's why we're on this podcast right now is I really like, I love talking about the journey and experiencing the journey. Whereas I think that's such an important part of this, because if you're just focused on, oh, I just want to make cool pictures that move on the screen. I think you're going to struggle <laughs> if you don't enjoy the whole scope and the whole journey of it. Yeah. It just, I think then it becomes misery. And, and then it's like, how long can you sustain that? We've all seen people who are just unhappy in that world and it's just, they're burnt out. I think most of the time too, right? They've just, they've worked too hard for too long with maybe not enough reward beyond the financial. And so you just hope everyone finds their, finds that opportunity to do something rewarding within the industry. You know what, for some people just making a living in the industry is, is, is that's why they're there. And that's amazing too, because there's lots of opportunity there and that's great. But I think knowing what you want out of the industry and crafting your own career, right? The crafting the career that works for you is, is I think one of the most important things. I would agree. And it sounds like you kind of, from the very beginning, you know, you did your reps on set, figured out where you wanted to go, kind of took the leap of faith and said, Hey, I'm headed this direction. This is who I am. And then kind of been focused in letting yourself drift and have fun with things, but still have your focus, you know, mainly on directing and writing. So it's really cool to kind of like hear your whole your process as well, but your journey into this thing. As we wrap things up, I'm curious, where can people go to find you or find your work if they're curious to check it out? Uh, my website. So rjsayer.com. There's some of the work there again. So there's that opportunity and go on Instagram. Like even if you're curious about some of the, like the personal stuff I'm doing, which like I, I put a lot of energy into that too, because I'm writing and taking pictures and stuff too. So just my name handle is the handle for Instagram as well that's the other spot. So yeah. And hopefully in the near future, <laughs> some films will come into the world. We be burst into the world. I'll have my name on it. Yeah. I think that's like the next thing. I love all the other stuff and doing all this other work and I will continue to do that, but that stuff's, those are shorter term goals, which is sustainable and continue to evolve that and the style in which they're done and hopefully make them more story driven. Like I'm curious to see where the industry continues to go. Cause it's always changing. So adapting to that and moving with that, because the thing I would say at the end is, is just like, it's all very messy. You know what I mean? It's not always clean and simple. It's, it can be messy and that's okay. And, uh, I just think I continue to adapt to what I feel like I just need on a personal level and then hopefully make my career work for me. And who knows where that will take me in one year and 10 years. So I'm excited to see where you take things and excited to see your name on some of these inevitable films uh they got in the hopper thanks so much for coming on the show today rj i really appreciate your time i think it was an awesome chat and uh we'll be in touch thanks marshall and thanks for doing this because i think it's great yeah it's always awesome talking to you and working with you likewise thanks so much okay that was director and writer rj sawyer rj is a great director and storyteller and i encourage you to check out some of his work at rjsawyer.com that's rjsauer.com 
or some of his interesting personal stories you can find on his Instagram page about some of his bikepacking trips. I'd say specifically dive into reading some of the captions on the stories. Uh, He really dives into some deep kind of thoughtful and meaningful stuff there. It's a fun read. In future episodes, I'll be speaking with photographers, cinematographers, directors, producers, reps, and anyone who has decided to take this ambitious leap of faith at making a life and a living behind the lens. Stay tuned and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. And if you're open to it, take 30 seconds to leave me a star rating or review to help this podcast grow. I'll be honest, this stuff takes a ton of work to get into your ears. So help me out with a quick review or star rating, or just shoot me a DM on Instagram to let me know you've heard something of value or share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Shotlist. Shotlist.